0: Welcome to Mocks on the Mic, your exclusive look into all things Chattanooga Athletics. Here's your host, Chris Goforth. This week we visit with Chattanooga Mock turned Olympian, Lanny Marchant, the 2007 Southern Conference Female Athlete of the Year. She is a member of the Chattanooga Hall of Fame. In addition to being an Olympian, she is also a lawyer. So a whole lot to get into with Lanny. Looking forward to that. Can't wait to get a chance to visit with her. Just a reminder, though, make sure that you subscribe to Mocks on the Mic. And if you're an Apple Podcast user, we certainly appreciate your five-star ratings and your reviews. So enough of that. Let's get to our conversation with a former Mock, now a Canadian Olympian, Lanny Marchant. Lanny, if you will, take a minute and kind of catch folks up on what you've been up to since you left UTC.
1: So I left UTC in oh goodness 2007 I believe Um, goodness and so then I went to law school. I have a Canadian law degree from the University of Ottawa, an American law degree from Michigan State University. Uh, I'm licensed and practice uh, practicing down in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Actually, I work for uh, Speak Webb Turner and Newkirk uh, Law Firm, primarily criminal defense law firm there in Chattanooga, Tennessee but I work remotely because, um, in 2012, 2013, I discovered that as much as I've always loved to run and that's, just, that's my dog. Sorry. Um, mailman. I'll just let her tire herself out. Elle. Um, yeah, it's just a delivery person. We can, you are being a derp. Stop it. Um, Oh yeah, in 2012-2013, I discovered that my um, running was going to take me on a new journey. I'd run on scholarship at UT Chattanooga. Uh, I kept running through law school, kind of just to stay in shape and, you know, compete on the roads here and there. But uh, I had some breakthrough performances in 2012 and 2013, and that set me up uh, on the path to qualify for the 2016 Olympic Games. And so in 2016, I represented Canada in the marathon and 10,000 at one game. So I had, did the 10,000 first on the track, and then I had 46 hours between events and then ran the marathon, uh, which is probably the best, one of the best experiences of my life. Uh, since the Olympics, I've still been training and working for my law firm. Uh, I've had some downs. I've been, I had some surgeries and some illnesses that we've dealt with the last couple of years. And uh, now I'm based in Boulder for the high altitude training camps here. And then COVID happened, and now I'm kind of stuck here. <laughs> um, but it's great. I'm still able to work remotely and train. And I think, like anybody else, I'm trying just to make the best of it and keep my fingers crossed that the world returns to normal. So um, I can compete at the Olympics in now 2021. They did postpone the 2020 Games. So it gives me an extra year to kind of train and get ready for it.
0: I want to hear more about your uh, Olympic experience especially first off, I want to talk about the competition part of it, because, you know, for most folks, it's about competing in, it may just be one event. Now, you went and competed in two events, the second of which was a marathon for crying out loud. So, how difficult is that? You mentioned the, what was it, a 48-hour turnaround, something like that? Yeah,
1: 46 hours from the start of the 10,000 to the start of the marathon. Uh, It's not common. I think I might, I know I'm the only Canadian woman to have ever done it, but I think I might be one of the only women, period, in the history of the Olympics um, to do both events at one Games. And uh, it wasn't an easy task by any means, but uh, the way I looked at it was I qualified in both events. Uh, My training kind of allows me to uh, jump between the events. My coach, uh, Dave Mills out of London, Ontario, has coached me since high school. Um, our training plan has always been more speed and power based. And then, like any marathoner, I just do really, really crazy long runs and high mileage to kind of prep me for the marathon. So, when I qualified for both events and I'd seen some success in the 10,000 at Pan Am Games the year before, I meddled um, in Toronto. So, I knew I wanted to do the 10,000. And then, the way I looked at it was the marathon came after. And we didn't have three women qualify. I was one of two women to qualify. And if I wasn't going to be taking a spot from anybody else and I was still standing after that 10,000, why not? Um, Why not do it to show people, primarily little girls, that you can do anything and that you, you don't have to cap yourself at one goal. You can make a goal and strive for it, but if an opportunity opens up to let you strive for more, say yes and do it. Uh, it doesn't mean that (laughs) I wasn't utterly exhausted after both events. Uh, I, um, remember treating it like a a very strict business schedule. And from when I finished the 10,000, um, I had my bottle there to start carb loading and had ice baths and massages and everything planned down to about every 30 minutes. I knew exactly what I needed to do during those 46 hours to prep for the marathon and then the marathon was its, its own special thing, just because for four years, the goal had been to go to the Olympics in the marathon. So for four years, every run I did, every workout, every early morning, pool session, bike session, strength session was all done with the mindset um, of running under that Olympic banner in the marathon. So as much as I got to do both events, the marathon is the one that still sits very special in my heart. Uh, But when I crossed the finish line, that's when I was allowed to have the emotion and realize I had done something really cool and actually feel the exhaustion of it. And it was about three days of me hobbling around the Olympic Village before my body kind of came back and recovered.
0: (laughs) So is the marathon, do you consider that, is that your favorite event to compete in?
1: It's really tough for me to say. Uh, I really do love the 10,000 on the track and on the roads. but yeah, the marathon, I think, is what I named my, how I made my name in the sport when I set the previous Canadian record in 2013. Uh, it was a 28-year-old record that I broke, and I was only 29 at the time. So uh, it was a huge um, coming-out party, so to speak. And I do love the training for a marathon and the, the grueling nature of it and that you can be as prepared as you want, but come race day, it's all out of your control. There's really – no prepping for a marathon um, for it to go perfectly. It's you you either have a magical day or you don't. And I think there's part, maybe like the disturbed part of me (laughs) really likes that, um, that you just, you know, you've put in the work and you've done everything you can to have the best race on the day. But then it just, it comes down to race day. And because you only at my level, you really only race one or two of them a year. You are putting all of your eggs into that one basket hoping that it pays off. And, uh, I just, I, I let that appeals to me on some level.
0: Now t- back to the Olympics for just a second. You, you talked about after you competed in the marathon, that was when you were finally able to, to kind of have your moment, if you will, at the Olympics. Um, tell what it's like, what's that like? I mean, that's something that we, we all look, we all watch it on TV. Um, you got a chance to live it,
1: what's it like? It It's surreal. I still like, lo- especially yesterday was International Olympics Day. So you kind of like revisit your games experience. Um, the village itself is its own tiny little world because you have athletes from all over the world, every country and every sport there. And you're, you're eating lunch and dinner next to some of your idols. Like, I uh, somehow ended up becoming decent friends with the Jamaican sprint team. So like, I'd like often see them and we'd be at different, I think because they're at Commonwealth Games, Pan Am Games, Worlds and Olympics, you start to see the same faces. Uh, I have good friends that represent Team USA that I've trained with and done training camps with. And as much as you're there with your country, you kind of co-mingle. Uh, I've made some great friends that I had, I met at the games and I'm still friendly with now. So you have this like, huge community that you're all there doing something that you've all put your blood, sweat, and tears into. And then everyone's kind of finishing their competition on different days. So you can see the athletes that are now able to have a bit more fun with things and tour around and go see some of the country that we're in. Uh, I have athletes like me that had to kind of keep my blinders on uh, for a few extra days there. Uh, But it's just its own little magic, magical place. And some of my best memories are actually going out and watching other events. Like I went to some volleyball games, beach and indoor. I went to some canoe kayak events. Um, I took in some of the triathlon. So it was just really amazing to get to see other people who are just like me. Different events, different countries. Um, but we are all have this one commonality that we've put our, our entire lives on hold to pursue this one special goal and I always say being an Olympian it means you're part of an exclusive club but an ever-growing club because every two years there's more Olympians so it's kind of like you get to have this like extra community that you're part of outside of your family your friends and your social social circle you have this whole other world that you're now part of.
0: Now what is your training like right now you're you're in Boulder Colorado where you plan to be training for what you, I guess, thought would be the 2020 Olympics. And that has kind of been changed now to 2021. What are you able to do during the pandemic?
1: Um, So it's been interesting. Uh, Obviously, gyms and everything shut down. So because of that, I'm not able to cross train and strength train the way I normally would. So I can't swim or ride an indoor trainer or be on elliptical. Uh, So keeping that in mind, we had to taper back the rest of my training to help make sure I avoid any injury or any overuse issues. Um, But I always joke that I was actually prepped for this anyways, being a long distance runner um, kind of is a very isolating life (laughs) as is. So when COVID happened, when quarantine happened, my day to day didn't change a ton. Um, I could take my dog for walks, uh, go for runs. Boulder, we were fortunate that we didn't have any major house arrests. Like we had a stay at home order, go out for essentials, like go to the grocery store if you need to. But so long as you were not running with other people and avoiding large groups and uh, large gatherings, you could still, I could still get out and train. Uh, So I am fortunate that of all the places I landed to train, um, it was in an area that had less, uh, less restrictions on being able to get out and exercise. In terms of what my actual training looks like, typically um, if the Olympics were happening um, in, in July and August this year, I'd be putting in 100 to 110 mile weeks of mileage of running. And that would be easy runs, hard runs, intervals, plus usually four or five hours of cross training, like strength training, swimming, biking, et cetera. Right now I'm hovering around 70 miles a week. And I have my road bike here so I can get out and ride. And then you can't really see, but I have like bands and kettlebells and everything kind of around my dining room. And this is now my gym. Uh, so training has been augmented in that sense. But if anything, it just gives me more time to, to make sure I'm focusing on all the little things. And then hopefully, once we have an idea of when races will start back up and qualifying windows open back up to qualify, I'll have done enough work now to have a very solid and healthy body to then have a 12-week build and run a marathon.
0: You come from a, from a family of, uh, not necessarily of runners, right? Like <laughs> your mom and your sisters were all figure skaters. Am I right about that?
1: Yeah, I, and I grew up figure skating. So my mom uh, was a figure skating coach and my sisters all skated, myself as well. They were all slightly better at it than I was. <laughs> um, and as punishment at our skating club, if you did something wrong, if you Um, for some reason, if you weren't landing the jumps properly, or for me, I'm a very outspoken person and anyone who follows me on social media sees that, that I have no fear of using my voice to advocate, um, for other people and against injustices. And that doesn't make you popular with coaches when you're 12 and 13 years old. So I would have to run laps in the parking lot. And that's actually how I discovered that I loved running. Um, my family overall is very active. Now they've all transitioned out of skating. Um, I have a sister that's a spin instructor. I have a sister that uh, owns a gym. My brothers both play soccer and one's a soccer coach for his daughter's team and some of the other leagues in my hometown. Uh, Baby number six, (laughs) my sister Shannon, she actually ran on scholarship at Detroit Mercy, but she ran anything from the 200 to the 800. So we are definitely on different ends of the spectrum in terms of our um, events that we would compete in.
0: How did you end up? From Canada to Chattanooga, how did how did it? when did Chattanooga come on your radar?
1: Uh, so in high school, so when I transitioned from figure skating to running, a big part of the push was I recognized with figure skaters they missed so much school, and I'm a huge nerd and I just didn't like being out of class that much. Uh, so when I got more into running, some of the girls older than me had mentioned like athletic scholarships to the U.S., and I was like, I'm one of seven kids, if I can get school paid for in any other way, like. That'd be fantastic. And there was actually a lot of Canadian guys on the UT uh, track team, UT Chattanooga track team. And our assistant coach at the time, the one who recruited me, Damien Walsh, was from my hometown. And uh, so I got some calls from him and went down and visited the campus and really fell in love with the city and with my teammates. I liked that of the places I was being recruited to, coming into the Chattanooga Mocs, track and cross country program I wasn't going to be one of the best right away I was going to have to earn it and really work for it and that appealed to me so yeah there was a great Canadian pipeline to run down there and I'm pretty sure there still is there's not as many of us down there like when I went on my recruiting trip I think five or six of the guys team were Canadian um, plus the assistant coach and then throughout my years there we had three or four Canadian guys on the team and then we got a few more Canadian women um, towards my my third and fourth year down there. So yeah, you guys have a good pull with Canadians, and uh, it just it's such a perfect place for somebody coming from the land of winter to have a more uh, moderate winter climate down there.
0: You've been fortunate enough to be able to compete all over the world. Uh, you know, throughout the southeast, obviously, as a um, while you were with the with UTC, and then since that time. You have competed every – you've been in the Olympics. You've been in Moscow uh, for the world championships to compete. Out of your travels, give me a favorite place. Do you have a favorite place that you have love to visit to I, compete at the most?
1: I do. So my favorite place to train is Iten, Kenya. Um, I, I went there every winter from 2012 through 2018. Uh, it's just running in its purest form. And it's actually after my first trip there that I had my breakthroughs in running and ended up uh, running at the caliber that I have the last eight or not or seven or eight years. now. Uh, my favorite place to race, that's hard. Uh, we had Commonwealth games in Glasgow, Scotland, and that was amazing. The course was beautiful. Uh, Scotland is a beautiful country. Um, I've raced in Japan a lot uh, in Chiba and Tokyo. And that's been its own surreal experience. Uh, obviously, the Olympics, racing in Rio, takes, you know, a, a big piece of the pie. But I think I'd have, if I had to pick a place to go race again, it would be Glasgow.
0: Can you compare the competition you faced while you were at UTC in the Southern Conference? Can you compare that to what you face now?
1: Yeah. So, uh, Shannon Walmack and Kathleen Churchin were both my teammates at UTC – and I actually think that the fact that I'm the only one that came out as an Olympian from that threesome is uh, surprising. Uh, Shannon Walmack could dominate anything from the 400 up to the 10,000. And she, every up until her very last race at the NCAA's in the steeplechase in 2006, I think, uh, she was PBing in every race. So I, even though at times, like I was conference champion several times at um, the SOCON championships, um, I made NCAAs uh, three times, I think, two in track, once in cross country. I was by far, like, having nice things handed to me handedly in workouts with those girls. So the talent that I had on my team was phenomenal. And then within the conference itself, um, I, I forget, she ran for Sanford, and when Sanford joined our conference was just after I graduated, but she was definitely in our region, and I can't remember her name. But she's another one that it just shows the depth of talent the U.S. has, that I was competing against some really stellar girls all through my collegiate, collegiate experience, and that I was the one that stuck with it and became an Olympian. And they've gone on to all have very successful lives and marriage and kids and professional careers. But I always wonder what would have happened had Shannon graduated or been, yeah, been graduating in the, closer to 2008. I think she might have put a push in to make the Beijing team. And uh, I definitely think she had the talent to do so.
0: So let's see, you're an Olympian, (laughs) you're an attorney. Um, What's next? I mean, I mean, that's, that's a pretty good start in life. What's next for you?
1: Um, I don't know. Actually, I do love the law. I think my passion for running is surpassed by my passion for the law. Um, I think with what we've seen, um, as of late with uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and the Me Too movement, um, the safe sport initiatives that I've been part of, uh, trying to make sure, especially after the unfortunate case out of Michigan with the gymnastics team and their doctor, I, uh, I'm i really seeing where my two worlds blend and that's in athlete ad- advocacy and um, creating safe sport environments for children at the grassroots level, but even our pros, like you don't realize I think I was fortunate coming into this level of running with my education and already having been in the real world with a job that you learn what's appropriate behaviors from coaches and staff from your bosses and other staff members that as an athlete if a coach, you know, starts to display signs of maltreatment. My brain recognized that that wasn't right, but other athletes who grow up in the system and they're in the early twenties and they're making these Olympic and world championship teams, they don't know any better, they don't know. And we did a big survey across our country in Canada where it wasn't until our retired athletes got out into the workforce and realized it wasn't normal that if you screw up, not to have a water bottle thrown at your head. Like <laughs> that, to us in the real world, that we of course we know that's wrong, but in the sporting world, you don't because you, you put all your faith and your trust into these people around you. And then, obviously, like the Larry Nasser case out of Michigan, you have. These athletes and these girls who put their trust into a sports doctor. And I find that my legal advocacy is transitioning more from the criminal element to the safe sport and athlete advocacy side of things. Uh, So that's probably where I see things going and converging furthermore. Um, I'm also working on an app uh, with a friend from my hometown Uh, because of all my surgeries and injuries the last couple of years. I've, I've learned a lot of things about your body and stuff you can do at home and on your own to kind of treat major injuries um, that save you money from how like I was fortunate. It's just me. My income goes selfishly back into myself. And uh, not everybody has that luxury. And so I'm trying to help create a space where people can learn how to rehab back from certain injuries, prevent injuries uh, for female athletes to learn how to manage their hormone cycles and training. So that's another little side project that I'm really passionate about and have been enjoying kind of piecemealing together.
0: Lanny, thank you. This has been fun. I hope we get to do this again. I want to make sure we talk again. You're going to have to carve out some time before (laughs) the 2021 Olympics so we can do this again.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Hey, thanks to Lanny for giving us some time this week to talk a little bit about uh, her time as an Olympian and her time. As a a Chattanooga Mock. No free legal advice, though, on this week's podcast. We'll have to do that again uh, another time. Uh, Again, thanks to Lanny for uh, giving us some time and uh, hanging out with us today. Thanks to Anne Wehunt for her help, as always, in uh, putting Mocks on the Mic together. For our producer, Tate Johnson, I'm Chris Goldforth, reminding you to join us again next week for Mocks on the Mic. Until then, stay safe and go Mocks. Thanks for listening to Mocks on the Mic. Please remember to rate, subscribe and review and we'll see you again soon.